listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Well, I'm excited for today. We get to wrap up the series that we've been working on over the last six weeks, uh, our series Left on Red, where we've been working through Revelation chapter two and three, and we've been talking about the seven churches that are there in Asia Minor. I'm going to throw up this map that we are all very familiar with now. And we've been working through what Jesus has written to, his, to these churches um, through John the, the Apostle. And we've been trying to figure out, like, what are the things, you know, this was not written to us, but it's written for us. So what are the things that we can draw from Jesus' message to these churches 2,000 years ago for us to respond to? And when we were talked through this and we stopped in Ephesus for a little while, one of the things that we saw there and challenged ourselves with was walking the path God's way, not our way. And as we continue the journey, we saw lots of things that we are challenged by. In Pergamum, we saw, hey man, we should stop and and look within ourselves and find out, is there anywhere in our lives that we are allowing Satan to have a foothold, to dwell and influence us? And we need to take care of that. Now last week, we talked a lot about identity, And how our identity, the identity that we can hold on to and hold firm to in our lives is the identity that we have in Jesus. Now, these are just a few of the things that we've covered over the last six weeks. And if you haven't had the chance to watch or listen to these, you can go to the website at liferotp.com and be able to catch up with all the sermons that we've done so far. But today we are ending the journey in Laodicea. It's almost directly east of Ephesus there. And as, as has become our, our uh, tradition during this series, I want to just jump right into the text. I want us to spend uh, this first moment reading through this and taking the approach of reading it from the perspective of, of who we are in the time and place that we live in, being 21st century uh, Westerners. So if you have your Bibles, you can come along with me over to Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to be reading from a different version today, the New American Standard Bible, so not the usual NIV that we we read from up here. So I'm going to read off the uh, the screen for you guys. So read along with me, and here's what God's Word says. He says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the Amen the faithful and true witness, the origin of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have no need of anything, And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves, and the shame of your nakedness will uh, will not be revealed, and eye salve to apply to your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. The one who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the church, what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, this is a section of text that I am very familiar with because I can remember it being the subject of, or used as a subject of many conversations at the church camps and youth retreats that I went to growing up. And there are two really powerful analogies in this section of the text that would be used often. And the first one is that that picture of Jesus standing at the door. And I remember them talking about how this would be Jesus. He's standing at the door of your heart. And he's knocking and he's just calling out to us and waiting for us to open the door, to hear his voice and open the door and invite him in. It was this beautiful picture of what salvation is and how Jesus wants to establish a restored relationship with us. And I love this one, and I still love this one today. But the other analogy that I remember hearing being used during my childhood was the one that has to do with the waters, how there's cold water and hot water and lukewarm water. And I remember the conversation around that being that these different temperatures of water were indicators or representations of what our spiritual condition is. And how the cold water is like, represents a person who does not follow Jesus. You know, they're cold. They don't know the, the, the saving uh, grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then, then you have the hot water, and that's somebody who's on fire. That's someone who loves Jesus, who's walking the path well. They're doing everything right. And then smack dab in the middle, you have the lukewarm water. The lukewarm Christian. The person who says they follow Jesus, but do they really? They're more Christian in name. And the message always was, you don't want to be the lukewarm Christian. You don't want to be living a life that where you are only a Christian in name, which that's true. But the, the message continued to say, like, if that's who you are, Jesus is going to vomit you out of his mouth. He obviously would prefer us to be like the hot water where we're on fire for him, but as opposed to that, he would, just, he would just prefer that you're not a believer at all, that you'd be cold. Cold water. Not a follower. Which was a really interesting message to receive as a kid growing up. And really, this message only seems to make any sense when you pluck it out of the context of the message that Jesus is is saying to this church. When we pluck it out of the context of what is going on in this city and in this region. And when we do that, we can get a little bit of a skewed perspective of what he is trying to communicate. And I don't want us to do that today. I want us to walk into this text 
with a little more knowledge, a little more understanding of what God's text is trying to say to us. So let's spend some time learning more about this city and the region around it. We're zooming in on our map that I showed you earlier. And you can see Laodicea sits in what is called the Lycus River Valley. And I have two other cities labeled on here. To the north, one called Heropolis. That's about six miles north of Laodicea, so from here to Pullman. And then just east of it, a city called Colossae, 10 miles. That, that city name might seem familiar to some of you. Colossae? I hope so. That is the city that the church is located that Paul writes to through the book of Colossians. When he writes that book and, or that letter and sends it to the, the church in Colossae, it's right there. And something very interesting occurs in this text, in his letter. In his letter, he actually mentions the other two cities a couple of different times. In chapter 2, right in the beginning, he says, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea. And then over in chapter 4, at the very end, as he's wrapping up his letter, saying his goodbyes, he's talking about all the people that he's been doing ministry with. And in particular, he mentions this guy named Epiphras. And Epiphras is the man that we believe was the pastor to these areas because we don't think Paul actually went to Colossae. And he says this about Epiphras. He is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and at Heropolis. It appears that when Paul wrote this letter, these cities weren't just close together. They actually were connected. Connected through the churches that were there. What's not up here, but what happens later on in his letter, Paul says, hey, take the letter I've just written to you and share it with the church in Laodicea. And get the letter that I wrote to them and read it for yourselves as well. These cities are connected with each other. And not just through churches. There were other ways that they were connected as well. And I want to share a few of those with you guys right now. Starting with the city of Heropolis. Six miles north of Laodicea lies this large city that was a vacation destination for people. People loved to head over here. It was a great city. But the thing that drew people to Heropolis more than anything were the hot springs that spilled out of the ground. And as they came out of the ground, they poured over that cliff. And it looks like snow, but it's not. It's this travertine cliffs that were created because of the minerals that was in the hot water that came out of the water or out of the ground. And they would form these pools and the, and the water would fill up in there and people would come from all over the place just to get a chance to sit in the hot waters of Heropolis. Because 
the, they were believing that the hot water there was giving them the benefits of healing. Relaxation. We know what this is like. How many of us love to sit in a hot tub after a long week, right? Yeah. It's, it's a healing, restorative process. And that's what people flocked all over the place just to hang out in the hot waters of Heropolis. And as we go to the city to the east in Colossae, Colossae was for quite some time the most prominent city in this region. It sat at the base of a mountain range, which you can kind of see at the back there. This is the tell, the city's underneath there. It hasn't been excavated yet. But this mountain range includes this mountain called Mount Cadmus, and that's right where this is sitting. And this range gets a tremendous amount of snow each year. And with snow comes snow melt. And with snow melt comes water. There are these beautiful, cold, refreshing streams of water that run out of the mountains right by the city of Colossae. And that's where they got their water from. Maybe continuous supply of cold, refreshing water. And right in between those two cities is our city we're talking about today, Laodicea. A city established during the 3rd century B.C. right along a trade route. And because it decided to put itself right there, it did not take very long for it to become a very prominent, influential city in the area. So much so that it took over that role from Colossae. And as we've seen and talked about over the last few weeks, earthquakes are a big part of the story for the cities in this area. And it's no different for Laodicea and these other two cities. Last week when we talked about Philadelphia, I mentioned an earthquake that happened in 17 AD that decimated their city. Well, it did the same here. It decimated Laodicea, and they, they needed help. And so Rome gave them aid financially so they could rebuild their city. And something very interesting happened for this city very short time after that. About eight years later, in 25 AD, the city decided that it wanted to put in an application to the, to the Roman Empire to be the location for the next uh, imperial cult temple. It would be the second one in the whole region. They were asking Rome permission to build a temple for Rome, for Caesar, to build a location that people could come and worship whoever Caesar was and worship Rome. But Rome told them, no thank you. They said, you guys don't have the civic wealth established in order to be able to continue to maintain this temple. And so they said no. And the people of Laodicea did not receive that well. And they went on a journey. And 35 years later, in 60 AD, when another earthquake hits this region that was traumatic for everybody, Rome stepped in and said, 
Come to us. We've got something for you. And offered aid to all the cities in the region. But Laodicea said, no, thank you. We are rich enough to do it ourselves. You see, they had spent the last 35 years amassing wealth and prestige and influence in the city and in the region through lots of different ways. One of the ways that they did it was they had a school of medicine established in the city. And one of the primary uh, things that they studied at this school was ophthalmology, the medicine of the eye. And through their study, they were able to develop this eye salve that was very effective in healing people's eyes and any uh, infirmities that they were having with their eyes. It was very popular, sold in all the markets in Laodicea, throughout the region, throughout the world. It was a good moneymaker. Another thing that they were known for was the very rare breed of black sheep in the region. And this black wool that was very rich and smooth was used to, to make tunics and hooded cloaks for the empire. Now there's some speculation as to why these sheep had black wool and one of the main speculations is it was because of the water. You see, unlike Heropolis and Colossae, Laodicea didn't have water just bubbling up or flowing past them. They had to go and get it. And so they piped it in from miles south of their location into these giant towers that were found throughout the city. And so the water would come into the city, flow up into these towers, and spill over into all these other clay pipes that would then disperse it throughout the rest of the city. But there was some issues with this water. One of which is the hint of why they think the sheep's wool was black. And that's the water's content of lime was so high that it would eventually clog these clay pipes, rendering them useless. The other thing that was poor about this water is that it had to travel so far before it got to the city that by the time it got there, guess what? It was lukewarm. And we all know lukewarm anything isn't really good for much. Especially lukewarm water that's high content of lime. And it stands in contrast, complete contrast, to the other two cities of Heropolis with their hot healing waters and Colossae and their cold, refreshing waters, doesn't it? Now, with this new knowledge of Laodicea, in the region, and particularly with some of the things that they were known for. Let's go back to the text and read it again. 
And like I encouraged you guys to do last time, last week, I'm going to encourage you to not follow along with me, but just listen. Do your best to try to put yourself in the shoes of the church in Laodicea and hear it for the first time. And see if you hear some things that Jesus says to this church that make a little more sense. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and I have become wealthy and have no need of anything. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to apply to your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. The one who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I could imagine hearing this for the first time and being a little shocked. This letter is completely different than all the other ones that they just heard read out loud to all the other churches. There is nothing in here that Jesus is commending them for. It just goes right to the spanking. And as we step back and look at this section of text and, and try to figure out, like, what does God want us to take from this? How does he want us to respond to him today? What, is, what exactly should we be doing from this? And there's lots of different things in here. Lots of places that we could land today. You know, we could look more in depth into the, the whole analogy about the water, which I think we all know now I might have been missing the mark when I was growing up on my understanding. There's more to it. Or, or we could, could dive more into how this was a city that was very proud because of their self-sufficiency and they didn't need anybody. We could look more into what that looks like for us. Or we could look at repentance, that call to return to the path and what it looks like to walk the path well. Perhaps we could talk more about 
how God's discipline is not about punishment, but about his love. Or maybe we could dive more into this amazing analogy of how Jesus stands at the door of our lives and is waiting to be invited into a to partake with us, to restore relationship. All things that I think that are just a few of the things we could draw from this, but where I think God wants us to land today has to do with something that is not readily present, but definitely underlying throughout the course of this text. You see, that day that Josh and I were standing, or sitting, actually, in this theater in Laodicea, as our teaching wrapped up, he and I both, well, I don't think we were sitting by each other, but he and I both, after we, we were done with that day, were like, this is the thing God has for me. And we had the same thing. We both walked away with the same thing. And I think it was somewhat because God was trying to get our attention. Because before we had left on our trip, there was a decision about generosity that we needed to make here. And I say that because Generosity is the thing that was missing from this church in Laodicea. You see, there was a piece of the history that I didn't share with you earlier. Back in 60 AD, when that earthquake decimated the area, and Rome offered help to all the cities to rebuild them, and Laodicea said, no thanks, we got this. Help was not offered to the city of Colossae. The city of Colossae had dwindled in its importance and its influence in the area so much that Rome didn't think they needed to be rescued. And this is a, this is a city that has a church that got a letter from Paul. It's a city that has a church that's connected to the church in Laodicea. But they got no aid. Not from Rome, not from their brothers and sisters in Laodicea. And how does that happen? How does a group of Jesus followers decide not to reach out to their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and try to help them out in their time of need? It certainly wasn't because they didn't know anything about it. Maybe it was because they were so concerned and focused on building up their own name and their own reputation of not needing anybody else to make it. And that sense of pride just permeated throughout the city and even into the church. But is that, that thing that reminded Josh and I about this conversation Because last year, our sister church over in Pullman, Real Life in Pullman, 
had the amazing opportunity to purchase a new building. And they were in the middle of the remodel, and they asked if we would be willing to help out, if there was any way that we wanted to partner with them in that. And we're like, sure. So the elders and Josh and I were having the conversation, figuring it out, like, okay, how much do we have in savings? We have this. Cool, we can give out this. We're throwing out numbers, generous numbers, I thought. But we want to make sure we, you know, maybe, maybe we should keep some just in case we need something or something comes up for us. And then on that day when we were sitting in that theater and we heard the story of Laodicea and how they chose to not be generous to those around them, Josh and I both came to each other and were like, dude, we can do better. We can do better. And we came home. And because this church is so awesome, we were able to make the decision to give our sister church $45,000 to help purchase these chairs over in our new building. As a as a church and a leadership and a staff, generosity is something that is very uh, a big deal. It's a very big deal for us because it's a big deal for God. And we are always looking for ways to be generous. You know, if you guys got the Life or Weekly email this week, you saw some of the things that we've been able to do as a church. We've been able to give thousands of dollars in benevolence this last year to people, some of you sitting in this room, some people who are in our community with gas cards and groceries and covering bills. We've also been able to give thousands of dollars for people to be able to go to rehab and find healing from addiction. But it's not just about finances. That's not what generosity is about. It's not all about that. Generosity is more encompassing than that. Just a few months ago, our sister church in Pullman again had a little bit of devastation hit them. When most of their staff left and their senior pastor resigned. And we reached out and we said, what can we do to help, guys? How can we come alongside with you? And we've had, we've had the opportunity for the last several months to be able to be generous with our time and our talents. Back in May, our youth pastor, Logan who you might see around walking, a walking zombie today because he just got back from youth camp. But he, he went over and preached for a Sunday because they needed help. A couple of weeks ago, Greg wasn't here leading worship for us because he was over preaching for Pullman. Last week, Ryan, who plays guitar for us at was over there leading their worship because they needed help. 
And today, you're not going to see Josh anywhere in this building because he's over there preaching right now. And I believe he's supposed to do it next week too. But we are only a, a part of this, guys. Our generosity is not just for the staff and key volunteers to be doing that. It is a lifestyle for all of us. And we're only able to do the generous things that we've been able to do as a church because of you. Because those of you who choose to live a life of generosity... Because you choose to be generous with your finances, with your time, and with your talents. In lots of different ways. Like being generous with tipping your server, even when they don't give you great service. This just happened to me yesterday. Challenged my ability to live a generous life. Kathy and I went to lunch. The service was awful but I still tip generously. Old Adam, 10 years ago, would have been like, you get 5% of my drinks, that's all you get. No. But I've chosen to live a life of generosity. And I can be generous with all the things that I have, as can you, because God was first generous with us. And for us, living a life of generosity, what it does is it frees us. It frees us from that relentless pursuit of more and gives us the opportunity to to reflect the very source of generosity, our God. And this is what the church in Laodicea missed out on. They were more concerned about the relentless pursuit of more and missed the opportunities to live a life of generosity. And we cannot be the same. We have to choose each and every day that we are going to walk God's path, God's way, and that path includes a life of generosity with everything that he's given us. And when we do that, you know what happens? We're not like the lukewarm water of the Laodiceans. We're like that hot water in Heropolis that people came from all over the place to get into. And we can bring healing and restoration to people when we live generously. Or or we can be like the cold water in Colossae that was refreshing and brought life. And when we live live generously, we can do the same with every person we encounter. As we move to our time in communion together today, 
I have a, a section of text that I want, us, I want to read over you guys from Matthew chapter 6. As you sit and you contemplate, what does this look like for you in your life today? What does it look like for you to live generously in every aspect of your life? And not, not to make your own name great, but to reflect who our God is. Now, if you're new with us here today and you didn't grab one of these elements, if you raise your hands, one of our, our ushers will be able to get one of these to you. And so as I'm just reading this, this text, section of text, and it's right in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and he's addressing this exact issue, and he's giving hope. Because it's not easy to live this life. So let me read this over you. These are the words of Jesus. Matthew six nineteen. he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and ru- rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye of the lamp. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy and your whole body will be full of light, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. This is a Jewish idiom talking about generosity. If your eye is good, you're generous. If your eye is bad, you're stingy. If then the light in you is darkness, how great the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And then at the end he says, but seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. One of the Greatest acts of generosity is what we celebrate today with communion. When Jesus offered up his life for every one of us in order for us to be able to have the opportunity to open the door when he knocks on it. So on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the cup, he blessed it, He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take this in remembrance of me. Let's remember together his generosity. Then after the meal, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of my blood. Whenever you drink of it, remember me. Let us remember the new covenant that he has made in his blood. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and uh, I just want to thank you, Lord, first off, for who you are. Lord, that you are a God that is generous. Lord, that you are a God that pursues, even in the midst of us not pursuing you, as we see from the church in Laodicea, Lord, they were living their own way, doing their own thing, trying to make their own name great, but you still pursued them, you still gave them away to restore relationship with you, even in the midst of their lack of generosity among many other things. 
And so, Father, I pray today for each one of us as we, we leave here that we are looking for ways in our lives to be generous. Not so that we can build up our own kingdoms, not so that we can lift up our own names to those around us, Lord, but so that we can reflect you and show people who you are through the way we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.